Do you know your customers? Do you know what they need and when they need it and how you can offer every single one of them exactly the right product at the right time? Well, Brennan Dunn knows, and he's going to teach you just how to do that. Hey, I'm Arvid and welcome to the Bootstrap Founder. Today I talk to Brennan about personalization and how to best learn the most you possibly can about your present and future customers, and then how to make money from that as well. This uh, episode is sponsored by Acquire.com. More on that later. Now, here's Brennan. Brennan, welcome back to the show. Uh, last time we were chatting a lot about email and automation at scale, and today it's getting personal. Uh, <laughs> yeah, You've written a book called This is Personal, and I'm super, super happy that you did because it's exciting. And it, it's all about personalized marketing. How has the author journey of this book been for you? It's been very different from what I'm used to. So like you, I'm kind of, my background is in software and kind of like digital products and everything. And I was telling you before we hit record, I, I started this process really in 2018. Um, it's 2023. <laughs> it's finally, it's finally in three weeks going to be like an actual product. So I'm very used to like iterative building and kind of this idea that you never actually finish anything. It's like, even with a course, you could still add content, you could revise things. Um, this whole idea of like, it's a bit like, I, I guess, like making a movie where once it's done, it's done. Um, so yeah, it's it's been very, very, a lot of new challenges, a lot of um, at times frustration with how slow the whole industry <laughs> is. But overall, I'm uh, I'm glad I'm at the kind of the proverbial finish line. Um, so yeah, it's it's been it's been very interesting, so to speak. It's it's quite different from the the creator life right or somebody a marketer life where we have control over all the steps leading up to the result feels like publishing is this kind of thing you you have to at some point just give to somebody else and hope for the best right well it's that and it's also it's such a like i don't know if polish is the right word but like such a process driven intentional thing that i've built but it's my cheapest product <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> to me, it's just wild, like you know. So, yeah, it, it, it yeah, it, it's been, it's been uh, quite the experience. Um, I'm glad I've done it. We'll see if it happens again, but you know, at least now I can tick off the bucket list, like I've done the published book thing. So, yeah, that's awesome. I'm yeah. so happy for you. I mean, I've been been following this journey of you writing the the whole thing and and looking kind of behind the scenes every now and then, and it's really really enjoyable just to to also see how the process works because it's. It is quite different, I feel, from the regular creator process where you just like experiment all the time and you, you try different things and you, you do like A-B testing modulations and that kind of stuff. And you, you run those experiments over time. You get the data, you're working back in. Like it's uh, the, the feedback in, in, in what we do with the, the internet, right? The digital kind of marketing. It's, it's almost immediate or at least you, you can get immediate data and you can get data series over time and kind of compare them with books. It's kind of fire and forget and hope for the best. Right. Yeah, and, exactly. and the audience is also so much more diverse. Like your book probably is going to end up in like airport stores and, and bookstores all over the world. And I hope certainly to find that would be nice. I'm, I'm not sure about airport stores, but hopefully <laughs> it will <laughs> have to be an airport. So if I have to take a copy and take it to an airport, I'll, I'll make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's going to be just exposed to, to all different kinds of people. You have no control over who it is which is kind of 
um, the exact opposite in, in a way as a medium to personalized marketing, right? Yeah. And I kind of want to, I want to go into the book because I, I think the, the topic is spectacular. It's something that I personally struggle with a lot because I, I have no educational background in marketing whatsoever, like regular traditional marketing or fancy newfangled, uh, you know, relational marketing or whatever you might call it. To me, all of this is just highly experiential. And it's nice to see an expert like you put, all their insights and knowledge into something I can hopefully soon find at an airport store. So, you know, let's, let's, let's get into personalized marketing. And the, the question I kind of want to lead into with is because I'm an indie hacker, I come from a software driven background and I personally also am a solopreneur. So I do all the things, right? Marketing is but one of the many things that I do. How important is it for me as somebody who's just myself doing all the things to think about personalization? in my marketing, my outreach, my emails, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's so a common question is, I think a lot of people compare personalized marketing to something like A-B testing, where it's one of those things that work at scale. But when you're just starting out or you're dealing with a limited set of customers or a smaller audience, it doesn't make as much sense. I mean, my, my thinking here is, so with with indie hacking so like let's say let's pick SaaS right let's pick on SaaS so early on the the idea is before you spend a ton of time on a sales page or a marketing website you should get on calls and do demos and and you know so on and so forth um and that's kind of the conventional wisdom right like you should learn as much as you can from your audience and then hopefully individually kind of like convince them to buy your thing figure out what objections they had and all that good stuff so what um you know, that that's sales. I mean that's sales one on one. It's very one on one. It's it's low scale. Like you can only book out an hour at a time. Um, and personalized marketing, the way I look at it, is not things like putting people's names on an email or or something like that. Instead, it's trying to think. Okay, if what are what are we doing when we do like a sales demo of a product? We are. I'm listening to who you are. You're technical. You're in SaaS. You're a German living in uh, Canada. I can talk to you about like, you know, I mean, that's that's more of an extreme example. But like, I, I have an idea of who you are. And then I'm going to talk about different benefits that I think you you would care about. And so I think ultimately, we should all be thinking, our audience is probably not a giant monolith. Like there are different types of people in it. Some care about certain things we do uh, feature wise. Some care about other features, benefits. They want to hear different case studies, examples, and so on. So I think ultimately it's a thing we should all be striving toward. But early on, I don't think you should drop everything and be like hacking away at writing conditional content in your sales emails or anything like that. Um, what I do think, though, that people should do sooner than later, because it's harder to do once you already have an audience, is to have some go beyond just first names and email addresses. So most of us have like an email address opt-in form and we get their first name, we get their email address and that's all we know. And then we'll we'll tag them or something if they buy from us. But I, I do think it's really important to try to uncover at a macro level the different identities and needs of your audience. So it could be as simple as, you know, with Create and Sell, which is my email list, when they join, hey, are you what's your focus now? Is it on building an audience? Is it on selling to your list? Or is it on automation? Um, and then from there, I ask questions about like, how experienced are you with your email platform? What do you use as an email platform and so on? So I think even if I don't do anything with that data, I think it's important to have that information so you can see like who, what, what kind of content should I be, you know, focused on? It, it kind of lets you do, um, 
really just kind of market research on your own audience and get kind of percentage-based numbers that you can then use to make decisions about acquisition, product creation, what newsletter content you should write about or whatever else. So I like doing that early. Like I started doing that when I did Create and Sell and launched it to the world at first. Um, immediately I was segmenting, but I wasn't doing anything with that data. Um, so I do think it's it's important to kind of enrich it to the best of your ability, your uh, early audience with who they are and why they're following you. So I'm just going to throw in a couple of uh, thoughts at you at this point as, as a solopreneur who wants to do this, but has a couple fears because yeah. we tend to fear reactions of, of people that we interact with, right? From a developer background, I very much struggle talking to people in any case, right? So, or interacting with people in any case. So my, my immediate fear is, am I asking them too much? to start segmenting themselves at that point because I haven't built a relationship with them just yet when they sign up, right? Is that the right point? What can you say for that? So the good thing is we, because the primary use case at this point for my software company, Right Message, is to do post-opt-in subscriber surveys. I have a lot of data on like, uh, not conversion rates, but engagement rates of, of these surveys. And typically speaking, there are some surveys that do really well and some that, don't do well. And the common theme between the ones that do well and don't, or the, the common theme, I should say, about the ones that do well are really a few things. So the first thing is that they make it clear, this is not just like market research data that we're using to put on a PowerPoint somewhere that we're going to show to a board. We're getting this information or I'm getting this information so I can better serve you. So if I know that you use ConvertKit, I'm going to talk to you about my ConvertKit course probably, but if you use ActiveCampaign, I'm not, right? Like, uh, So you make it very clear. And usually it's a one-sentence thing that says, hey, thanks for joining. Do you mind taking 15 seconds, 20 seconds? So make it very low work on their on their part. I'm sharing a bit about why you're here so I can better best get you what you need. Because I think there's a lot to be said about people. Um, people ultimately want what they care about, right? So even if you're not yet sending hyper-personalized, like, these people get this newsletter because they fit this profile and these people get that newsletter. Even if you're not doing that yet, the fact that you're saying, I want to be able to better serve you, that does well. So across the board, we're seeing between an 80 to 85% response rate, so completion rate of the surveys um, for new subscribers when doing that. And the other thing that people do well, I think, to get those high rates is they don't make the questions hard. I think the, the mistake people make is it's like, a three sentence question and every answer is like another two sentences. And it's like the, the mental overwhelm of trying to figure out like, well, which one is it? Where instead it's something like what Jay Klaus does, where he's like, Hey, so I can best give you what you need. Are you on LinkedIn? Yes. No. Cool. Are you on Twitter? Yes. No. And he makes it very almost conversational, right? So it's, it's very easy to answer. No one really needs to think. It's not like, how would you solve, you know, uh, world hunger? <laughs> it's, it's very specific choose one of the following options. Um, and he's getting a ton of data about that, about who his audience is. And it helps him better understand not only who, the, who, who they are, but what products he should be offering them. So, you know, if you, uh, like with Justin Welsh, if you don't use LinkedIn, LinkedIn OS probably doesn't make sense for you to use, right. or at least not yet. Um, so yeah, I think, I think as long as you just make it, you know, the, the questions need to be easy. And you need to make it clear that this is for them. 
So you don't really start asking why questions, right? You don't want to prompt them to actually go deep into something. You just want to kind of allow them to self-categorize into binary or like multiple choice situations. Yeah, I, I like one of many, especially for a personalization. It's hard to do. It's hard to, if you have an open-ended text input, um, you can't really, I mean, I, sure, you could pipe it up to chat GPT and like infer things. Great. But for the most part, um, it's more work to fill in a text field than it is to click a button. And on top of that, if if it's like, which of the following do you like, red, green, or blue? If they choose red, it's very easy for you to then say, hey, if they chose red, make the background red or something. Um, so I just, I, I prefer one of many. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. It feels like it's an easy, again, easy, right? You want it easy for people to mm -hmm. to be able to quickly do it and to to get to where they want, which is you knowing what they want, them knowing what you have to offer and kind of combining this yeah. into, into a successful transaction. Um, how much is asking too much? Right? I always wonder with personalization, like how, how can you, can you over-personalize? And I guess like if I have a hundred people on my email list and I send a hundred different emails that are all personalized to their use case, then I have kind of a hundred pristine and uh, handcrafted emails. That's a bit much, but even just in, in collecting data, how, how much data do you actually want to collect before you kind of saturate the willingness to respond to data? Yeah. I mean, so the good thing is if you do make your questions easy, there tends to be a 98 to 99% um, like rate of going to the next question, right? So if you if they answer the first question, if you make the question easy to do, and as long as you're making it, again, you're you're setting the expectation that this is going to take like 20 seconds, um, then the response rates tend to be almost like everyone who starts will usually finish. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of like, there's two things, right? Like you don't want to ask too many questions because then you're, I mean, unless there's really something in it for them. So if you position it as like a, personality quiz or something like that sure they get something at the end that says you are you know house griffiner or something right like <laughs> then that that's the win that they want um but yeah I, I tend to keep it to at a minimum you should be uncovering two things one of which is why they're currently interested in what you have to offer so in my case that's what is your like what are you looking for audience growth or sales or automation um and then a who question is so the who for me is what email platform do you use and how would you self-assess your experience with it? Like how good you are with it. Um, and that gives me a good idea of like, this is somebody who is a self-identified complete beginner with ConvertKit and they want help with audience growth. That tells me a lot about them. Whereas somebody who's pretty already advanced and they want help with automation, they could probably both benefit from me, but they're going to benefit in different ways from what I have to offer. Um, and on top of that, I can also look at that top line data and say, wow, I have a lot of people on my list who are complete beginners. I need to create more beginner type products. I don't really have anything for them. And that's actually what I'm doing exactly now is I'm looking at that data to help me fill in the blanks of my own my own offerings. That is super interesting. How do you do that? How do you figure this out? Because looking at all that data, the, again, the more segmentations you have, the more data you have. And I think it can quite overwhelm you if you don't really know what you're looking at. So how do you personally look into this data to, to find these trends and then see what you can do with them? So I have a card up by Ace up my sleeve, however you say it, um, <laughs> that, that I've been using. And it's been really interesting. And this is a tool, I don't know if you've heard of it, called Segmetrics. But um, Segmetrics is, it pulls in all your email contacts data and it superimposes like Stripe and, and PayPal or whatever data on top of that. And what it does is it not only gives me things like that you can kind of get from the ConvertKit dashboard, like average subscriber value, 
but it also gives me um, customer value, like average customer value, time to purchase, all that good stuff. But I can also break that down by any dimension I want. And I can see, oh, um, convert people for me are worth about $80 per subscriber. But somebody on active campaign is worth about like five, right? So I, that tells me like either convert people have a lot more disposable income and they really like what I'm doing versus active campaign or I'm dropping the ball with them. So like what I've been learning is as my list has grown, it's become less and less convert But my core offering is a course on ConvertKit, which is a bit of an issue. So I've been looking at that hard data about people's experience levels, what they're, I ask people what they've done and haven't done um, when it comes to like, are you currently doing any form of segmentation? Do you want to be doing segmentation? And I ask these questions throughout kind of their experience with me. And it really made, made it clear that there was a, a high demand for, P, um, for some sort of training product that will help people get a basic like segmentation one-on-one understanding, regardless of what you do and regardless of the email platform you use. So that's actually, yeah, I mean, that that's what I've been doing now. I'm, I'm working on, no surprise, but a little mini course on exactly that. And it came from looking at that data, looking at it in segmetrics and realizing that people who answered a certain way were just not worth much. And it it really became a question of, well, why aren't they worth much? Well, it's due to this gap in my my product offerings. Um, so I really like, you know, that kind of approach of looking at instead of just saying, I made this much money with my audience, or I have these many subscribers, being able to individually reduce it down to exact conversion rates of subscribers, exact valuations of subscribers, that is super powerful once you start doing that. Do you sometimes think of new potential questions or new answer options to add to your existing you know, personalization questionnaire as a consequence of looking into this data? Yeah, so I um, not, not for that data as much, but one thing I'll often do is I'll have like an other option. And then if you choose other, I ask you to put in your own words like what, what other is. Um, so over time, you get a lot of data and then you can start to think, okay, is, do, I need to be, do I need to add another option? But I'm always wary of doing that because, again, if you have 20 options, that's a bit extreme. I usually try to limit it to like three to five buttons. Um, but I've, I've seen over time like how there have been holes in my own understanding of like who my audience is that I could then go and backfill um, by either removing questions that were getting like a 1% response rate um, in favor of questions that were getting a lot of other response rates that I, you know, that I then added. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I wonder, like, in this case, since you, you change things, does that make it harder to look at the data as a whole? Because, you know, if you, you start with certain kind of questions, you get certain answers, and then you add new things that kind of shifts the response pattern in there? Or, or do you just look at, like, certain time time frames within your data? Yeah, so the thing I love also about SEG is I can, SEGmetrics is I can, um, Give it certain time time windows and and look at it that way and and I also sometimes will just change the label. So case in point, like with one of my businesses, Double Your Freelancing, we were getting a lot of people choosing other, um, and they were putting. We asked people what kind of work do you do, and it'd be like developer, designer, marketer, writer, um, or other. And if they chose other, they could then tell us what other was. And a lot of people put like branding or logos and stuff. And I'm like, that's design. Like, why aren't you just choosing design? So then, then modified the button to be design slash branding. And pretty much all those others went away. So that's an example of where I didn't really add something new. I just kind of rephrased one of these ex- existing options. 
That's that's very interesting. Like how a little little word, like a little difference there, can just impact the data so much. It's funny. It remi- reminds me very much of my political science studies. We had a lot of like quantitative data analysis and all that kind of stuff in there too. So that's kind of have you, what you have to do if you do surveys with people around like political topics and stuff. It, it feels like it's the exact same math. Obviously, it is like under underneath these kind of uh, surveys responses and the kind of coding that you have to use and encoding and decoding of the answers into certain kind of categories it's very interesting to now see this thing that i never expected to ever use again uh, to be part of my creator journey and that's that one one thing that, that stands out for me is that i did not expect to ever have to use this in my creator journey and i think a lot of people might also not expect or even think of using that kind of deep qualitative and quantitative data analysis in their in their lives as a creator or as a as a founder as an entrepreneur whatever they might be um it, it sounds like a lot of work. Let's just say that. It sounds yeah. like you spent a significant amount of time on that. Is that right? I don't know. Um, I mean, t- to be honest, like, so we've been doing, um, I've recently kind of started doing consulting again with this little agency thing. And um, we've been doing pretty much for all of our clients setting up segmentation survey funnels. And it doesn't take that long. I mean, really what it involves is, I think most creators have, we know like things like, our list size and list growth rate and things like that. And then we kind of have a gut understanding of who our audience is based on emails that came in from like replies to our newsletter or something like that. But um, we don't really have like, we can't say 40% of my audience is a beginner or hasn't started a business or something like few of us can do that. So that's what the clients that have come on board with us have wanted. And really what we've done to do that is either if the if the person we're working with has a good understanding, they just haven't like captured it, then we will do like version one of the survey w- based on their understanding. But we've worked with some people who don't know anything. So what we've done is we just do a simple broadcast that goes out to the list and says, hey, we want to make like we're working on the next kind of like our future content calendar. And we want to make sure that what we're creating aligns with you and your needs. Would you remind or would you mind replying to this email with one or two sentences about a bit about like who you are and what you're looking to get from us or me? And that's the email. And then you get a bunch of replies and then you basically just normalize all that into, okay, like these are the top like three or four things that keep coming back. I mean, you'll have outliers, but you just kind of ignore them. You just focus on what are the common things that people are saying. And that becomes your V1 Um segmentation strategy. So I mean, yeah, that 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 upfront work can take some time. But once it's up, it's up. I mean, I haven't really changed the creator, uh, create and sell one that I have running now. I've tweaked it a bit, but I haven't really changed it in years. But it consistently is getting 85% of all new subscribers on my list telling me or sharing with me why they're here, what ESP they use. I've been able to see the growth of Beehive, not on Twitter, but by virtue of the fact that people are now selecting Beehive instead of like ConvertKit. Um, so like I'm getting, you know, hard data about what I'm also seeing, you know, trend wise on online. That's really cool. Is that like a minimum size list for this to make sense? Or should you start like from the beginning, the moment you start a newsletter or a marketing list? I mean, I think like, so again, with our clients, so the the good thing about the working with the clients we're doing is these all are people, creators with like hundreds of thousands of people on their list. So we're able to get like really good statistically significant data. Um, but without fail, they're all getting about that 80, 85% new subscriber segmentation um, rate. 
But when it comes to them sending out broadcasts to their email list saying, hey, like, I'd love to find out more about you. Would you mind clicking this, take this quick survey? It's super small comparatively. It's hard to get people to click links to go to surveys, but it's a lot easier to say when they just gave you their email address and click submit on the next page, capture a bit more data because they're pretty engaged at that point. That sounds to me like it's it does make a lot of sense to set it up very early mm-hmm. to get that immediate engagement from the start. Agreed. Yeah. yeah, do it early, okay. get the data, and then um, you can use it later on. Mm. Okay, well, nice. That's a nice idea. I, I still struggle with that. I do now send like a follow up email and I, I suggest some kind of stuff, but I don't segment much because I honestly, personally, I don't think I've understood yet. And I'm I'm just saying this as I come to terms with my own incomplete business strategy here. Just just uh, why I should do this necessarily because I do still have sales. People find my stuff eventually. People. I also. I, I guess for for my business, I I'm going very broad in in terms of. I just want to have a lot of impact on a lot lot of people and then have word of mouth happening so i don't have direct sales much from the stuff that i i, I don't push my uh my, my info products a lot so i think i still need to be convinced that 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 segmentation effort in, in segment, segmenting people is worth it for me can you help me with that please yeah okay so i think like i think we could probably all agree that if you were to go if you were to niche down heavily and say arvid only helps people who are doing SaaS. And they are pre-product or something, right? Like if you only dialed in on that and you made everything you do focused on that, you the conversion rates or whatever that you're whatever you're tracking for people who fit that profile would be high comparatively than you know trying to have a wider net, right? So we all know like niching, niching always works, right? Like because with niching it always works for the audience you're targeting because people want to buy into the thing or subscribe to the thing that is specific to them and their needs. So if you go too generic, you end up making putting the onus on them to kind of figure out how to apply what you're saying to fit their unique uh, circumstance. Like even with a lot of the, if it was back to the consulting stuff, a lot of the consulting stuff I've done over the years has been clients who have literally just wanted me to rehash a blog post that I know they've already read to fit them, right? Oh, nice. And so, you know, that, that happens all the time. Like we all want the thing made just for us. So with that said, if niching works better, it doesn't always make sense for me to have like, um, I don't know, mastering ConvertKit for book authors, mastering ConvertKit for SaaS, mastering, like it, that would be insane. So instead of the, the idea is what if we could then dynamically niche? So instead it's like they are getting an email that I send about the course. And then if they're a creator, maybe I put the quote from Diggy Bush of Ship 30 because he's a creator. And if they are um, a, a consultant, maybe I put the quote from, uh, I've had quite a few people who have said like they've used with their clients to like make, to basically, they, they've taken what I've taught them and, and, build up a really good little personal freelancing or agency business. So it's that kind of thing where like the agency person is going to care more about how can this product help me get better clients maybe, or help me like sell my clients on more stuff by offering them this as a service. Whereas the, um, the, you know, the, the course grader doesn't really care about that probably. So the thinking is, 
again, like this is an, an example of just using simple if else's to say, this person's going to see this testimonial, this case study, whereas that person is going to see something different. I have both because both people have equally benefited from my product. And you're just basically saying exactly like if I was trying to talk to you over the phone about buying master and convert kit, I would like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't explain all the, like, I would just focus in on what I know about you and what you shared with me um, to try to convince you to buy the thing. Right. And so it's basically the, I look at it as the middle ground between what most of us are doing now, which is basically online brochures where you have like your website, which is like a brochure. It's like the same thing for everyone. Everyone sees the same thing. Um, I, I call it like billboard kind of marketing. Um, it's the middle ground between that and what you would do if you picked up the phone and were trying to convince somebody of either following your newsletter or buying your product or or whatever. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay. Billboard. Billboard makes sense. That's kind of quite clear. That's how I feel. I do it right now. I just throw it out and hope for the right people to look at it at the right time. Right. Yeah. Instead yeah. of writing a message that reaches people at the right time for, in, in and not not necessarily just in a convincing way, but in a relatable way. Right. In a way yeah. that actually allows them to see. Oh yeah, this is something in, in my wheelhouse. I know Dickie Bush. Right. That mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Though. Yeah. Okay. So, and like if you rephrase it like that, it makes a lot of well, sense. It even goes beyond that. Like I think like if you need to do the billboard thing. Let's say, let's go back to Ship30 because they're actually using what I teach at Ship30. So the you have everyone from people who have never written publicly to people who are already doing it pretty well and they want better systems to do it better, right? So you have that. Those are the two kind of extremes. But if you were getting their marketing stuff and they needed to say constantly, you know, regardless of if you're just starting out or are we really experienced, Ship 30 for 30, blah, 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 blah. Regardless of if you're just starting out or experienced, ship 30 for... And if you see that, like when you see that, if you're pretty experienced, you're going to be thinking, I mean, can something that helps a complete newbie really work for me? And vice versa. The same will happen for the newbie who's seeing like big creator types who have used it or something. So it's one of those things like... I I, I think it, it's it's just... If you can, if you can say like, I know you've told me you're starting, you've told me you're a newbie, basically. Here's why this product, maybe it's the same product for everyone. Maybe you know, here's why Ship Thirty for Thirty, as a cohort-based course, is going to equip you to start a really great writing habit and build your audience from scratch. And it's just doing, it's just thinking in 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 terms of that. It's not about like having fifty million parallel sales pitches. It's just conditionally saying this part of the email. We might want to change up, and that's that's all basically we're arguing to do. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Like if you say this is for everyone, it's just general uh, startup advice, right? If you build for everybody, you build for nobody it's okay. because nobody is everybody at the same time. Everybody is somewhere on that spectrum, and it, yeah. uh, that makes it makes a lot of sense. I wouldn't want a product that is both great for the expert and great for the beginner because then I know it's somewhere. Yeah, it's trying to do everything. It's the the thing that, that that doesn't speak to me. But if you if you can angle it, if you can look at it from a certain perspective, this part of it is great for beginners. This mm-hmm. other part, not for you. Not even gonna mention it, right? I'll mention it to you if you are an expert or when you become one. That is interesting. My my um my, my question that comes immediately to my mind is how can we make sure that this 
insight into the psychology, maybe even, of our potential customer is not abused to a point where they feel that the thing we're writing is almost creepy or intrusive. Like we are over personalizing it to them. Like we know too much about them and it kind of shows. How can we prevent that? Yes, I I think the creepiness becomes when or starts when you do. Have you seen like what what Clearbit Reveal and and platforms like that allow you to do where given an IP address, it will say, we think they work at IBM. And then like a little pop up will show up like a chat drift bot saying, hey, IBMer or something like that to me is because I've been on the I've been at it like a Starbucks where presumably maybe some guy at IBM was working there, too. They think now Starbucks's IP is IBM, and now me, I'm getting addressed as like an IBM type person. Like I think that to me is where it's kind of the account-based marketing is the way that it would be described. That's where it gets a little creepy. What I prefer is just more like I'm very open to people and saying, "Hey, like when you joined, you shared with me that you use I don't know. Uh, let me let me give you a hard example of this. So with some of the work we're doing now with Justin Welsh." Like we're capturing information about where they are in their journey. Like, are they just starting out? Are they already pretty successful with a team? And we're very clear about not just saying like, you know, this works great if you have a team. Instead, it's like, hey, so you shared with us that you, um, you know, you work with a team. That's awesome. So here's why we think that this will be able to help you get you and your team to the next level, right? So it's not about being coy. It's not about being, it's just about like, again, like showing that you're listening and saying, I'm listening. And here's a different set of bullet points for you that I think are going to really resonate with you about why you may or may not be interested in this thing. Um, and I think people people do, I mean, there's been like professional Google, like personalization stats and stuff. And HubSpot did a big thing where they had different, you know, all these attributed stats and one of them was about how people do are generally okay with sharing this information with a brand, assuming it's used for good. So assuming it's not, you're not just sneaking stuff in. You're not like labeling people's IBM employees when they're not. Um, instead, it's saying you you shared this this with me. So here's why I I want to make sure you you're getting enough email. You're getting enough viewing enough web pages. Like let's cut to the chase and not try to cover. Every FEQ, every possible edge case, let's just focus on you. So this is you. This is why you need this. And somebody who did that well is we worked with um, Pat Flynn at Smart Passive Income a few years back with his Black Friday uh, promo where he had a lot of products on offer. And we just did exactly what we're saying now, which is you fit this profile. You obviously haven't bought this product. We think you need this product and here's why. And they did a proper A-B test control because they weren't sure, like, would this actually work? So what they did, they basically had, I think, um, I forgot what the holdback rate was, but some meaningful holdback percentage that got what their Black Friday campaign was going to be, which is just, here's everything we have on offer. Discounts. Versus the really focused thing. And it was something like 2.38x more performant or 238% more performant for the personalized niche thing than their control group. So it's just, again, it's it's one of those things that makes sense why it works. It's not black magic. It's just saying, if you fit this profile and you shared this with us, here's why we think this product is probably better for you right now. Yep. 
That makes sense. I, I like what you said, like listening, listening instead of just like assuming or enriching with data that you're not supposed to have, right? Yeah. Like lis- listening is just really, okay, you have a need, you express it very clearly and I have something for you. Mm-hmm. That, that it, I, I just, uh, I, I, whenever it comes to marketing that uses these kind of things and speaks to people directly in both a personal yet also an automated way, I always have to convince myself that it's okay. I, yeah. I, I'm just, I'm just so, bur- have been so burnt by the, the kind of, Outreach that is personalized, but it's really not. Yeah, uh, or they're filling blanks. I mean, that's yeah, all they're doing. It's like, hey, Arvid, uh, hey, first name. And, and that's <laughs> and, but one big question is like, what's the worst way you could potentially personalize personalize an email? What you I think it's when like? you're when you're putting in specific data and it's the wrong data. Like, <laughs> if if I was addressing you as Jenny, like. Yes. <laughs> going on there, right? Like, I think that that's the, that's the worst thing you can do, and that's why I try to make it like. Again, um, you shared this with me. Have an ability. You can use a tool like Smart Subscriber or something to let people like remap things because people's needs change. Maybe now they're focused on this instead of that. So I think it, like my big thing is obviously I, I, I want to treat my list like adults. So um, yes, this is an automated email, but I wanted to, you know, listen to the fact that you shared X with me. So here's a set of benefits that I think you're really going to resonate with and making that clear, like not trying to be all like, you know, it's I, like you, I hate like, you know, like these automated webinars where it's um, the fake chat room and they're like layering the ghosts of previous live web or fake webinars, like on top of the t- same timestamp. So it looks like it's like really high, high engagement. I hate, I hate that stuff personally. I just want to be able to say, I can't talk to all 10,000 of you one-on-one. So here's my best attempt to try to make it clear. Should you get this or shouldn't you based on what I know about you? Yeah. Yeah. I hate the fake stuff too, because it's so obviously fake. However, and this is probably a a whole topic that, that we could spend hours talking about, but it becomes less and less fake, the better the technologies get that emulate real human beings, right? I kind of want to talk to you about AI and its Mm. place in this whole thing. Like ChatGPT, you already mentioned it. That is for many people an interesting avenue to like kind of unikify emails that they send, like turn something that they know, give some context about the person and had to have the whole email rewritten automatically by ChatGPT and then send out yeah. that, for example, exists. But there are probably many, many other different ways even to uh, to collect information. You could do it in a kind of talkative manner, right? Where the, the ChatGPT becomes the agent of collecting information and then spits out some kind of normalized data. Um, without any prior judgment from my side, I would like to hear your prior judgment on this whole thing because you've been working in this for a long while without these tools. So I wonder, what do you think about AI, both the, the good and the bad for, for the future of personalized uh, marketing? I think I'm generally a fan of it for kind of basic, I was, I was talking to a friend about it this the other night, like basic, like junior analysis type stuff. Like, so I, I, I talked about how I, um, when we don't know what the core set of questions should be, ask your audience for a one to two sentence thing. You can upload a CSV of those responses to chat GPT and say, identify, you know, up to four trends about why people are joining my list. And that's pretty great. I mean, I was, I, used to do that manually with a spreadsheet where I would like have all four or all the, all the CSV uh, responses. And then as I went through them one by one, I would say, Oh, this is an agency owner. I'm going to create a new column called agency and paste it here. And then I'd have a big, like second column of all the agency owner responses. And then now this is a, I don't know, a health clinic, same deal. Um, 
So it's definitely made my life a lot easier for kind of the data analysis um, thing. I also think for things like writing, because uh, one of the one of the annoyances, if you will, of doing personalization right would be, let's say you want to, you have five industries you're targeting and you want to have a different headline on your sales page for each five. It's still copy, like the hardest thing is copywriting here because you need to come up with five variations. But you can easily go to ChatGPT and say, hey, given these five industries and this core headline, um, modify it for each and it'll spit it out and you run with that. You can even get it to write liquid code that you can then use to <laughs> yeah, that's cool, right? right in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's definitely made my life easier. Like, I don't do a lot of content creation with with ChatGPT. I don't really do much of any. It's really the beginnings of like the headline modifications I just mentioned. But I am a big fan of using it for identifying trends over large data sets. Yeah, it's funny because I use it the exact same way for my writing. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, ChatGPT is is my writing research partner. It's not my writing partner. It doesn't write for me. But right. I throw topics at it. I, I tell it to give me like 20 versions of a certain headline until I find one that I like and then use parts of it to to use for my own. Or I just ask it to look into a certain topic for me and give me a couple interesting, but not all too common like perspectives on it. You can, you can use it like a human being that you just yeah. like ask a question yeah. and it gets, gets you data, but you can feed data into it and have it look at it too. I've been doing this too with my analytics and like look at trends that give me certain insights. It's a, it's a research assistant. That's what it really is. It's not a good writer, right? The writer, of the tool is so generic and so bland because that's the whole point I guess of ChatGPT even if you try to color it in a certain way but um, I use it a lot in in my early exploration and my drafting stages and that's that's where it belongs personally so where does it not belong for you like when it it comes to writing would you use it like if you had all this data about a person and you send an email would you allow it to rewrite the whole email without you actually getting to check it off and then send possibly but not 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 the whole email so where i found the idea of what chat does well to work really nicely uh with is so in order to you to do um and we're i'm going to switch to just talking about the english language for a second we're going to get more complex in a second but um let's say you wanted to do something like you wanted to change up a sub part of a sentence depending on the email platform they use, right? Um, so let, let's hypothetically say you wanted to say um, all you need is a email marketing platform, right? So keep it in English now. Now, if I knew that you uh, you wanted to use Active Campaign, I couldn't say all you need is a fill in the blank Active Campaign account. Because now A with a vowel following sounds weird. So there's when you when you think of the the actual technicals of email personalization, for example, it's a lot of that. It's a lot of if elsing. But then you have these articles uh, like A and N, where there's very specific grammar rules around how that works. So I think that's the hardest thing I've run into in, in doing things like um, we do this all the time for for clients like. A common thing you see at the bottom of newsletters now is here are X ways I can help you when you're ready. And we've been, uh, for our clients, been making it so these descriptions and are personalized and even the products being shown are personalized, depending on what you bought or haven't bought. Um, so if it's like, if it's one per, one way that they can help you, it's here is one way, is, not are, is one way, singular, I can help you. And then here are two ways, plural, that I can help you. And it's that kind of thing that's 
is really tedious to get right, it's doable, but it's annoying. And I think what I like about ChatGPT is the ability to know basic grammatical rules. And I it would be great to be able to say like, hey, we're looking to put, here are X ways where X is a number, modify the surrounding sentence as necessary to make it grammatically correct. Like that's the thing, I, I don't know how to do that yet um, with like doing that saying ConvertKit, but that, that would be the, uh, where the biggest interesting use case for me right now. It's interesting to see like you thinking about AI here as a tool, like with one input, one output, right? It's not that AI does a job for you. AI is just kind of complicit in making the thing that you already create and structure yeah. more effective. It's, I think it's a very important distinction and it kind of, I feel the same way, right? I mm -hmm. want it to be there for a specific part, but I don't want AI to do my work. <laughs> right. And, and it would be, it would be wonderful if AI was kind of smart enough or ChatGPT was smart enough to actually draft like a full email, very specific for this person. But if there's one cringe statement in there, right, that the whole thing is lost. Exactly. And I, I, I wouldn't want to do that at scale. That's very, that's very interesting. It's an interesting perspective. And I think there must be a way for ChatGPT AI tools or something to offer this. And if not, it's a great SaaS idea to it have is. like a, yeah. you know, like a, a, a grammar. Um, it's just really simple, really grammar checker grammar corrector kind of tool you know it reminds me very much of feedback panda our SaaS that, that we built and sold a couple of years ago because we had the same problem that you're mm. actually talking about we uh, we had student feedback templates where you know the online teachers would write feedback for the parents of the student and there was a male and the female version and obviously pronouns are different right the, the yeah. if you only write one one version you uh you kind of want to have the male or the female version as well you don't want to manually write the same thing right because you teach male and female students at least in, in China, they have a pretty strong binary perspective on this still. But that was kind of what we were serving, right? Chinese uh, schools and we had like American online English teachers. That was kind of the market we were in. So they had these templates, only one version with a he, and they would manually go through and change like the his to her or the the him to her. But the, the other way around was, was tricky because if you have her, you can't automatically know if it's a him or a his that you, you need, need to change the her yeah, into. Exactly. Yeah. So I built this complicated machine learning system that took like eight, 18 <laughs> hours to to train like a, a statistical machine translation model in the background. That that was probably the, the largest like technological thing that I needed to build for this really simple text-based app because ChatGPT did not exist. Today, it would be one API call with the text and it would come back with the perfect yes, pronouns in the exactly. perfect spot. And funny enough, I did exactly that today. I... um. I mentioned the the like agency thing that I kind of started. The I took my intake uh, document that I've been using for years for my own clients, and it, it used to say like, "Hey, I'm super excited to work with you. When you're ready, let me know." You know that kind of thing, right? And I needed to go and modify that whole thing to be we instead mm -hmm. of me. Um, and it's yeah, it's it's that exact thing, which is like, oh, it's such a, like this is such a solved problem. Yeah. And as a coder, I'm like, why am I doing this manually? But then I'm yes. like, oh. <laughs> it's easier just doing it manually for this one-off need, but yeah. 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 I think AI has a lot of potential with that kind of stuff where, where it has through its own training data so much information that it could make a snap judgment so easily where for us it would just be a lot of if-then statements which is kind of what personalization is right so it's kind of also why I'm asking because I I wonder if you can train and that's that's maybe the speculative part in all of this if you can train a system to understand what you want and it then sets up these things that you're currently setting up manually and it looks into the data and it creates new product uh, like 
yeah branches or information for new product man and by all by itself so you only really have to say yes sure i want this or i don't do you see this coming do you see this coming in the, the more proximate future or do you think this is still a long while away? i think we're already seeing that kind of like if you look at like e-commerce with the recommendation engines they're kind of increasingly getting toward that or at least the big ones right i mean we've are we all know amazon does this we all know like the enterprise players are doing this um, really well, but I think I think it'll probably start with more recommendation engine type stuff before it gets to dynamic product or messaging positioning. Um, I mean, the 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 personalization I'm talking about now is is kind of it's it's hand done at this point, but I do think if if there's a high degree of likelihood that it wouldn't screw up, then um, then that that'll get even yeah that'll become more of a real thing i mean we've even had to like i've built an internal tool that allows me to say given all the different possible segmentation options first off tally up how many total combinations there are and then run this bit of uh text with liquid surrounding it so liquid is the the engine we're talking about for doing like if else's and personalization over email um paste it in and then it'll yield the output for every possible combo. Oh, cool. And what's nice is you can then just skim it and say, oh, a active campaign, or this is grammatically off, or oh, shoot, this looks awkward. And then you can go and fix it accordingly because it's really hard, frankly, unless you, I think you have a programmer's mentality to look at like yeah. a block of if else's, if, especially if they're nested if else's, yeah. and think like, what are the possible permutations that can come out of this? Man, um, what, what, wouldn't it be cool if there was like a liquid command just for correct grammar and it would automatically that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> that would be really great. <laughs> yeah, or even I mean, are you you use Rails, right? Mm, we had we were using Elixir, but yeah, I I, I okay. did do some Rails in the past. Okay. Well, there's a is gonna I, I haven't used Rails in years, so I'm probably gonna botch this up. But there was a active method, I think it was called, or active mm-hmm. something um function called was it like pluralize Mm. Um, where you could say like the first argument is a number. The second argument is a word like way or thing or something. And then it will output five things or one thing and it'll like do that for you. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd love to see like the equivalent of that being brought into a a templating framework like uh, like liquid. Yeah. Interesting. I, I wonder if we're ever going to see like uh, grammar correction on the client level that the email client actually goes through the thing and just like, fixes the mm. little mistakes in there. That would be an interesting feature too, because that would kind of uh, absolve you of the need to build your if then else statements. I mean, if you time. think of it like real time translation services, it's kind yeah. of the same thing. It's just yeah. like translating from English to English, let's say, or something. Yeah, yeah. that's what ChatGPT can do as well, which is kind of crazy. Like, and and that's that's a whole other thing. We didn't didn't even think yeah. of this before, but you could automatically. Like translate your full email into the local language of choice of your potential customer Absolutely. without having do to that. do it. Yeah. Is that yeah. is that something you would ever try? Or or would would you be quite afraid of the potential cringy translation? I'm actually so I'm doing that not with translation, but I'm doing that uh, with um, on my website. Uh, so on Right Message's website, where if you're in a, I think in I set up for Canada because I think Canada does this also. But like if you're in a country where it's an S instead of a Z or a Z. Um, it's spelled that way. So like personalized with an S rather than Z. Um, yeah, so I've done that. And, but that's an example of like, it's more of a parlor trick there. Like, I don't think anyone's going (laughs) to care. Like, I don't think somebody in Britain who's used to like 
the Americanization of everything on the planet, like right. is going to go to a website and be put off by a Z instead of an S for the word personalization. But but um, they will appreciate the S, right? That's that's the thing. That's yeah. that's where this comes in, right? Yes. It, it, it's nice to see something done for you, not to you, but for yeah, you. Exactly. In that right. case, right? That's yeah. very cool. Well, I'm I'm very very excited by by the prospects of this. So particularly in the future, as as it becomes more of a thing that understands what I want and does it for me, like mm-hmm. it prepares these kind of things for me instead of me having to dig into all these if then else statements. But I also see at this point at least how valuable this could be, and I'm I'm really fortunate, I guess, to 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 know you and know that uh, you have uh, extreme levels of insights and put them all in a book, which is also very cool. I'm really <laughs> looking forward to to reading the whole thing. One thing that I wonder about this book in particular, and we talked about it at the beginning of this conversation, right? Books are kind of products you finish and then you sell them at scale, but your marketing approach tends to be a personalized one. How do you combine this? Like for this book product in particular, do you have any ideas on how you can still personalize the sale for this, like your your sales efforts? How can you still kind of market it in a personal yeah. way? Yeah, so funny enough, I... <laughs> I kind of beta tested this last Friday. I was at a local conference and I brought copies of the book to the event. And what I did is when I would talk to people and meet with them, depending on kind of where they were, like, are they, you know, like what, what are they working on? Like their business, what their current challenges and stuff, like the normal stuff you do when chatting with people at a conference. Um, I would recommend certain chapters to them. So I think that would be where I'm going to, plan on doing this is depending on what they share with me, like if it's audience growth or automation or whatever else, I can say, hey, so I'd love to tell you about my book. This is personal. I specifically want to talk to you about why you're going to love what I talk about on chapter or page 75, where I get into onboarding new subscribers and how I think that what I cover both there and in the rest of the book is going to benefit you. And I think that's something that could be done like, yes, it's a generic kind of mass market product because it, you can't personalize a book. Um, I can give recommendations for what I think they should read specifically, pay attention to specifically in the book. Um, and that, that went, went, went over really well, you know, for my limited, like five sample size I did at the conference last Friday. Um, but I think that's, that's what I'm planning on doing is exactly that. That's so cool. I, I just love how you have this deep insight into this whole approach so that you can even use it. You can even personalize the unpersonalizable. That's awesome. That's <laughs> well, the really book cool. It's still, like I said, still, still one size fits all, but yeah, yeah, the way it's, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a book recognition to a friend. Think of it like, yeah. Yeah, like, why do I think you'd like this book? And, and a specific one, right? It's not just the book is great, but it is great. And here's the part that is good for you. Right. I think that's just like, if, if you look at uh, any kind of marketing that you can do or that you do and give that information to your customer at that time, like this is not just wonderful. Of course it's wonderful. That's why I did it. Right. But it's wonderful and wonderfully useful to you because of this particular part Th- that just to, to me uh, explains why personalized marketing is so powerful because it contextualizes and it empowers people right there. That's the exactly it. That's what I've been trying to get across to you. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> I only took 50 minutes. So yeah. No, I, I really appreciate you like sharing all of this with me. And uh, I bet a lot of people will appreciate reading this book. And I hope they do. And I hope they find you. So uh, where do people go to find you on the internet? And where do people find the book? Yeah, so let's start with the book. Um, mm-hmm. I do have a vanity domain for it. So this is personalbook.com. Very nice. Um, it's just links to like Amazon and stuff <laughs> to buy it. Um, so that's the best place to get the book. Um, it comes out 17th of October. Uh, I would 
love uh, you to reach out and let me know what you think of it if you do buy it and read it. Um, but my, if you go to createinstall.co, um, that's my twice weekly newsletter on whatever I happen to be thinking that week about stuff like what we just talked about. <laughs> so mm-hmm. talk everything about personalization, but also just email marketing in general and what I think it could be done for how creators like us can can use it to better connect with our audience. It's, it's one of the few newsletters that I always uh, read. So it's I really, really appreciate you sending that out as much as you do and as personally it. as you do. Yeah. So I, I appreciate being <laughs> on the receiving end of that as well. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Brandon, for being on the show today. That was wonderful. Thanks for sharing all of, all of your knowledge with us today. Of course. Thanks, Arvid. Absolute pleasure. And that's it for today. I will now briefly thank my sponsor, Acquire.com. Imagine this. You're a founder who's built a really solid SaaS product. You acquired customers and you're generating consistent monthly recurring revenue. The SaaS stream, right? The problem is you're not growing for whatever reason. Maybe it's lack of focus, lack of skill, or plain lack of interest, and you feel stuck within your business. What do you do? Well, the story that I would like to hear is that you buckled down, you reignited the fire, working not just in the business, but on the business, and did all these things like audience building and marketing and sales and outreach. And six months down the road, you made all that money. You've tripled your revenue, and you have this hyper-successful business now. But reality is unfortunately not as simple as this. And the situation that you might be in is different for every founder facing this crossroad. Too many times, the story here ends up being one of inaction and stagnation until the business itself becomes less and less valuable over time, or worse, completely worthless. So if you find yourself here already, right now, or you think your story is likely headed down a similar road, I would consider a third option, that's selling your business on acquire.com. Because capitalizing on the value of your time today, that's a pretty smart move. Acquire.com is free to list and they've helped hundreds of founders already. So go to try.acquire.com slash and see for yourself if this is the right option for you right now. Thank you so much for listening to the Bootser Founder today. You can find me on Twitter at avidkahl, A-I-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. And you'll find my Twitter course, my books there too. If you want to support me on this show, please subscribe to my YouTube channel. Get the podcast in your podcast player of choice. And leave a five-star rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com. I would really appreciate it. It makes a massive difference if you show up there because that will show the podcast to more people. It will show up in their feeds and any of this will really help the show. So thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day and bye-bye.